0: Ciao, I'm Alice Rawsthorne. Welcome to the Enzo Mari Costellazione podcast series, a collaboration between me and Hans Orek Obrist, curator of the Enzo Mari retrospective at Triennale Milano. This episode of the series is with the wonderful Paola Antonelli who's Senior Curator of Architecture and Design at the Museum of Modern Art New York and its Founding Director of Research and Development, which is a very long official job title. Unofficially but unquestionably, she's the most influential design curator of our time. Now, Paula is. A- <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> now, Paula, as you may have guessed, is a fiercely proud Italian, born in Sassari, Sardinia, and brought up in Milan, where she studied architecture at the Politecnico. She then wrote about architecture and design and taught at UCLA in Los Angeles before joining the curatorial team of MoMA in 1994. She's since curated a succession of landmark design exhibitions at MoMA that have transformed perceptions of the practice and possibilities of design, not only within the design community, but critically for the general public too. Her most recent exhibitions, are Broken Nature, Design Takes On Human Survival, an epic investigation of design's role in the climate emergency here at Triennale Milano in 2019, and 2020's Neary-Oxman Material Ecology at MoMA. Well, thank you for this
1: epic introduction, (laughs) epic. There's a little (laughs) bit more, a
0: little bit more. Paola also found time to embark on a new project during the COVID-19 lockdown by co-founding Design Emergency with me to investigate design's response to the COVID-19 crisis and its potential to radically reconstruct our lives post-pandemic. And last but very much not least, she is a great admirer of Enzo Mari. So Paola, great as a, yes. Great admirer. Mm-hmm. So, Paola, as a child and a teenager growing up in Italy, when did you first become aware of Mari and what did he mean to you at the time?
1: Interestingly, that's what I always say to people when they ask me, whoa, why are you so good at design? I always tell everybody that design is part of normalcy in Italy. So I was trying to answer your question and thinking. I have this view of Milan, filled with panettoni, you know, the beautiful traffic, um, orderly Ballots. system that Mari had designed. It was fantastic, made of concrete and movable around. But actually, then I checked the time, I checked the year, and that was 1980, so I was like, no, no, wait a second, I must have been aware of, of Mari before. So, maybe it was the Danese toys, particularly the puzzle with all the animals. Oh, maybe it was, I mean, it, he was always part of my life life. And that's the beauty of it. You know, so when I first became aware of him is when maybe somebody told me, hey, you know, that object, it was designed by this guy called Enzo Mari. But I feel that he was always part of me ever since I started understanding what design is, which is very, very early on in my life.
0: And what do you feel now is his role within global design?
1: I find it really incredibly interesting. He's had a great renaissance, a great reawakening of of interest for him. And I attribute that to the fact that in in the United States, he would be called an OG, an original gangster, right? So he (laughs) was, no, he really, he really, he's like Bernie Sanders. He's like Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm, this kind of like old sages that have an amazing appeal among the youngest of us because of their kind of like real dedication and steadfast devotion to the ideals of design. You know, in his particular case, The ideals are very much the ones that are represented by the youth of today. You know, he could be part of the New Green Deal. He could be an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez fan. I can see him really appealing to the most idealist amongst the youngest and also for us. So I think that he's had this incredible renaissance, especially when it comes to his most radical projects, like the Autoprogettazione project from 1974 that really has um, reawakened interest in um, furniture and in also in how-to and in the, between a lot of quotes, democratization of design, because we know that that's a, a kind of like tricky term.
0: <laughs> Indeed. It's also fascinating if you think of the parallels with Buckminster Fuller, another great design radical, subversive, and maverick who had a huge renaissance among hippie counterculture in the 60s when, similarly, he was very elderly for exactly the same reasons that you've outlined. And how would you describe Maury's role within Italian design culture?
1: Within Italian design culture, it's a little harder to delineate because Italian design culture ever since the post-war period has been constellated by all these mavericks. So there's been so many different personalities, right? You cannot speak of a general general Italian design um, except by outlining interesting relationships between manufacturers and architects, designers. So Enzo Mari was one amongst these Cacti. You know, I always think of the, of him as a cactus, right? So there were other uh, much smoother designers. You know, Zanuso was an industrial designer, uh, Marco, like par excellence. They were all architects and designers, which is interesting. That's also how, how I was taught. You go to architecture school and then you become... Anything, you become uh, an industrial designer, a product designer, a pizza maker, a fashion designer, and maybe even an architect. So they were all architects and then they would have their own personality, Achille Castiglioni, Cini Boeri, you know, Paola Navone. And it's just like all these different people have different ways of expressing themselves in a very pluralistic way scene. And his particular role was that of being these um, kind of uh, cantankerous poets, but there were a few cantankerous poets, I have to admit, and uh, establishing relationships with uh, very interesting manufacturers and producers and with very interesting also other designers. So the role was that of being always part, but also slightly um, the the conscience and the criticism of the Italian design scene.
0: And in his role as the conscience and and the criticism of the Italian design scene, that's clearly related directly to his personal politics, his allegiance to the communist movement and a lifelong commitment to political radicalism. Is there a strong tradition of that within Italian design history that's perhaps less visible to foreigners like myself? Is it simply that other subversives have been forgotten or overlooked over the years, or was he genuinely unusual?
1: I would say that it's a a very strong streak in Italian culture. Like I grew up in Milan in the, I was a child in the 1970s. So uh, during the terrorist years, first, the first bouts of terrorism, the oil crisis, then the Red Brigades and everything that came with it and all the different factions of terrorism. And um, Marxism and communism was always almost like a moderate streak of life in Italy, believe it or not. There were such uh, more extreme wings of the left and the right that Marxism was almost the elite aristocratic way of thinking. So many of my um, friends from the Milanese bourgeoisie called themselves Marxist. And as we know very well, there have been amongst the, the most extreme factions that have been elements of the Milanese bourgeoisie, like Feltrinelli, who blew himself up on, um, uh, on an electrical high... Um, tension poles. So it it really was part of culture. In design, it varied a lot. Designers tended to be were well, apparently apolitical, so maybe he was unique. But in the 70s, they all took on a much more political streak. I mean, I remember Hector Esotzas, who never called himself really a communist. Still, during the oil crisis, he took on a very political stance, mostly by um, mostly by just commenting with his design. You know, in the 1972 New Domestic Landscape Exhibition, uh, in which also Mari participated, um, salsas produced this series of furniture that was almost um, in embodying the depression and the anxiety of those years. They're called mobili grigi, gray furniture. And at that time, Mari was starting to think of autoprogettazione, which is per- perhaps the most markedly Marxist of his projects. So I would say that he was not unique in Italian culture. He, is, he was... A, quite unique and is quite unique in Italian design.
0: And um, you've already alluded to several of his most important projects. Um, we're asking everyone in this podcast series to choose three favourite examples of Mori's work that they find most interesting. What are your
1: choices? You know, probably we all chose the same. We all chose autoprogettazione because really that is so Amazingly telling for our times, and it's so apropos. So I don't know how many people already talked about it, but let me give you my uh, my little introduction to auto projectazione, or shall I? Yeah, is that a, no, no, you, you, you absolutely a, a should, because
0: what's fascinating, I think almost everyone has chosen it so far, though not quite, and everybody describes it very differently, and that's oh, true for Mari himself as well and their relationship to you and perceptions of him. So off you go.
1: So autoprogettazione was not furniture, it was instructions. And he decided together with the manufacturer to release this booklet of instructions for everybody to be able to build their own furniture at home, finding the most standard of all woods available. So it was really about empowering the people, about uh no difference between designer and users about truly creating this kind of platform, the way we call it today, a platform for people to design and everybody being a designer. You know, everybody's a designer was one of the slogans of the 1970s. So interestingly, I mean, the furniture is fabulously interesting and could be interpreted and uh, it led to many different projects and to many different imitations. People even say that IKEA uh, has learned from Mari I don't even know if they were aware but certainly you can find some seeds of that idea in furniture that we see today. But interestingly, that also highlighted some of the contradictions within Mari himself. Um, just a, a few months ago, we were offered by a private collector one of the progettazione tables that was like super polished, done super well, and, you know, like varnished. I mean, you wouldn't believe that that came from such an idealistic and not pauperistic, but at least... Marxist project. And that's when I realized that a few of the pieces of furniture were actually made. And that's not the latest remake that happened with Artec just a few years ago. It's like at the time in the 1970s were made by the manufacturer and sold as fully finished pieces to a few collectors, which is really interesting because Mm. that really goes against the whole idea. So then there's the, there are beautiful essays because autoprogettazione reawakened so much um, discussion in the world of design lately. There's also really interesting criticism coming from, for instance, Avinash Rajakopal and uh, Vera Sacchetti towards the Kakula um, uh, uh, reinterpretation of the autoprogettazione, which happened in Berlin just a few years ago, when refugees and migrants coming from different parts of the world were asked to produce the furniture and then sell it in a store. So, Because it was such a rigorous project, any kind of interpretation that strayed from the principle became really um, a way to also show the uh, weakness of the system and the possible dangers that such an ideology could have in the real world. So I don't know, did, did I try to concentrate too much in my explanation or was I clear?
0: No, you were super clear. Fascinating. So what's okay. your second choice?
1: Il panettone. Oh my god. I cannot tell you why. <laughs> oh, how they're wonderful. No, no, no. Especially the for eating ice creams so, on. I eating ice cream playing by you know, as if you were in a in a on a river and you had to like jump from stone to stone. But it's stepping so stone Stepping stones, thank you. And then people also started like uh, painting on them. I mean, the panettone have been a fixture of Milanese life forever. And I think that afterwards they migrated to other cities. But so let me describe them to you. Think of like uh, a panettone, like literally a panettone made of concrete with a little slot of steel at the top. So the panettone is very heavy. And the little slot of steel is for uh, a special machine. Well, not really special, it's a normal bulldozer, but with a special hook to pick it up and move it around. So you have these great little inhabitants of the city. They are part of the landscape and and they live with people and they really accommodate people that are there to divide traffic, to protect, um, you know, sidewalks. I mean, you can even consider them lately after 9-11. There have been so many... Ballards that have been popping up all over the world. Actually, the panettone is one of the most elegant and instinctive ballard you can think of. So the panettone definitely is one of my favorite too. And then um, my other project that I really love, I really wanted to mention a project by uh, that a project that Enzo Mari did with uh, Bruno and Jacqueline Danese, and that's putrelle. That is a series. putrella means It's like a steel beam in Italian. So it's a section of steel that is transformed almost like a found object into a beautiful bowl for fruits or for nuts. Just it becomes a poetic and beautiful part of your home. And that's so typical. It almost embodies Mari to me. Tough on the uh, surface or tough when you first look at him. And then in reality, as as he is, somebody that makes you become tender towards him. (laughs) I'm (laughs) sure that some people will, will laugh when I say that. But, you know, I've always like, I've always been very wary of Mari because, oh my God, I don't think that I would be able to hold my own in an argument with him. I'm scared of him, but at the same time, I adore him like so many other Milanese and Italian and designers.
0: Indeed. And you mentioned Danesi there. And of course, one of the many contradictions of Mari in his career is that although he's always cast himself as an anti-capitalist, radical and subversive, he forged productive long-term relationships with several corporate clients and indeed worked for a lot of the major manufacturers in Italy and had particularly enduring relationships with Danesi and Coraini, the publisher. How important were those companies to his work?
1: Super important and probably they were the least capitalist of them all. I would say that the beauty of the relationship between Ensomari and Jacqueline Vaudot and Bruno Danese and then Ensomari and Martia Corraini and the whole Corraini family was um, that they were kindred spirits. They were living within a world that had um, capitalist tendencies but also communist ideals and they were sharing it. So Jacqueline and Bruno. I had the great luck of spending many years knowing them and really getting to know also their work. And they were dreamers. First of all, they didn't want to call themselves manufacturers, but they were more producers. Actually, they called themselves editors. And uh, uh, they treated really the world of design as a limitless world where art and design would flow into each other. Their two biggest designers were not only Insomari, but also Insomari's teacher, Bruno Munari, who's another wonderfully weird bird that didn't really make any distinction in his work between art and design. I mean, he made sometimes, he gave a few statements talking about the difference, but they were statements that would just, you know, you could tell that they were made up for people that asked about it. Truly, they didn't care. There were editions, there were products. I mean, there were so many products for the office calendars, um, pencil holders in melamine that Enzo Mari designed for Danese that were really very, very um, important and became products that were part of the Italian landscape. And then there were art editions that were made in endless numbers, so they were not even additions anymore, they were industrial products. So it was really very, very interesting to see how this lack of distinction between the various categories helped him maintain on the surface an ideology of communism and a real democratization of design. But in truth, there was a lot of sophistication. And the products were never expensive. Um, They were always affordable by people, even when they were art editions. And that's the beauty of it. He realized there was a, a world of art and design and manufacturing and curation and editions that was outside of the normal categories of design production.
0: And produced some beautiful projects as a, a result. Now, you have already uh, referred to Murray's inner curmudgeon, and he is undoubtedly... <laughs> An extraordinary character famous for titanic rages, um, his idiosyncratic likes and dislikes, obsessions and loathings, and of being famously irascible and uncompromising. This obviously has fed an extraordinary myth about him, which does um, bear direct relation to reality. What impact do you think this has had on perceptions of him and his work?
1: I think that it has maybe scared a few people off and then it has attracted others and it has transformed him into a living, walking, designing manifesto. You know, so it's very interesting, whatever the contradictions within his own personality working with Enzo Mari, uh, writing about him, doing an exhibition about him, transforms you into a suffragette of kind. You know, it's like you become this kind of heroine or hero. Um, I remember there's my my great friend, Francesca Piki. we went to school together at the Polytechnic of Milan. She did uh, a great book with him, beautiful, beautiful book. And I was always like asking her, So, how is it really to work with him? Did he ever scream at you? And it's funny because yeah. she said, No, I mean, he's like wonderful. There have been discussions. So, it, it's really fascinating. It is a sort of a shield also for him, I think. People that know him better will be able to tell you better, like Hans Ulrich, I'm sure, will be able to tell you whether I'm right or wrong or Stefano, because I have never spent a long time working with him because I'm one of those that was always scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're scared yeah. of very few things and <laughs> very few people. <laughs> yeah, somebody's one of them. <laughs>
0: So um, if we could talk about Morris's interventions in your own field, exhibition making, because although he's best known for the design of physical objects, whether they're books or games or furniture, he is also an extremely accomplished exhibition maker. Could you talk about your take on this aspect of his work and its impact?
1: Well, the the most uh, I would like to talk about the installations that he did for the Danese stores that are not like exhibitions per se they have this like fine line that he walked between commercial and instead curatorial. And in a place like Milan, you know, Danesa had this beautiful store in Piazza San Fedele, which is just behind Piazza del Duomo. And um, you would walk in and it would be just a delight for the senses. And then it would become also a delight for the intellect. And that's what he was great at, this fine line, this fine line that he also had in his work. The installations in the store would be the same as his design, apparently a uh, barebone but in truth, incredibly sophisticated. It's not minimalism, it's just being essential, but at the same time, never letting go of the need to treat beauty and formal elegance almost as a way of of, of showing respect to other human beings. You know, to me, that's really, I, I like to say that beauty is almost like a human right or a form of respect, and that to me condenses in Somalia's Marxism. In a way, his love for your fellow human beings and his respect for others were, in, were expressed by the incredible attention that he dedicated to formal elegance. And you see it also in the stores. There was no hypocrisy. It was a place where you entered and you could buy things, but you also could not buy anything and just really revel in the elegance of the installation, in the elegance of the objects. You know, I I didn't speak about his ceramic pieces because otherwise, I mean, I can go on forever saying what my favorite (laughs) Mari objects are, but there are also these beautiful ceramic pieces. So imagine walking into the maze, finding this kind of like... um, you know when you have diagrams that have different bars of different heights? I remember one of the installations was made with, with this kind of like parallel of of cardboard and these gorgeous objects would be on top of them. So it became like a landscape, like a beautiful desert dune of objects. And it was just, uh, I mean, it was just breathtaking, the elegance and the respect and the, um, just the simplicity, but also the sophistication of it
0: all. Yeah, extraordinary. So what are you hoping for from Hans Ulrich's Mari retrospective at Triennale Milano? What impact would you like it to have on perceptions of him sort of inside and outside the Italian design community? We've had this incredible renaissance of interest in his work. So where should it go from here?
1: Well, I don't need to have hopes because I have almost like certainties. I mean, anything that Hans Ulrich does and that happens at the Triennale has an impact because of Hans Ulrich, because of the Triennale, because of the Milanese people. I am, if anything, more than hopeful. I'm incredibly curious. And um, I have great expectation because also I will be curious to see the interpretation of Mari's personality done by others. You know, it's always fascinating when you have uh, somebody with such strong character, and with such defined impact on the world, it's great to see people riff on it. As some people, I mean, I expect that people like Martino Gamper will, as we say in Italy, andranno a nozze, will go to the wedding party. You know, it's like they will have like a ball with it. And I'm uh, and I'm instead more curious to see how others that have less of an affinity, or the, of a visible affinity with Mari will interpret him. So I uh, not hope, but I cannot wait to see the impact that this exhibition will have, not only on the Milanese world, not only on the design world, but on the world of culture at large. And, you know, you and I are militant uh, advocates of design. I'm always hoping that exhibitions will cast one more stone or will just like land one more flag for us. And I think that this exhibition will do that. I know that many people in the world are waiting for a major Mari show, and I hope that this will be it.
0: Oh, I'm sure it will be. Well, Paola, thank you so much. I mean, it's wonderful to hear your memories of growing up in Milan, hopefully eating lots of gelati on um, did, the, did the love come through?
1: <laughs> the
0: love uh, did, came through for everything
1: the love came through I love him so much and uh, <laughs> I thank I thank him for everything that he's done and I thank you Alice and everybody and Hans Zurich for inviting me to speak about him
0: oh no such a pleasure to listen so thank you so much and arrivederci
1: ciao ciao arrivederci